0: Welcome to the Farming On Purpose podcast. Today's challenges in agriculture are new, but the grit and determination required to be successful have been handed down for generations. On the Farming On Purpose podcast, we preserve the ag heritage and traditions we built our identity on while pursuing the American dream of multi-generation farms that innovate for the future. Listen along as we share stories of how farmers and ranchers are building legacies, both in their business and their character, for the sake of those they'll pass the reins to. I'm your host, Lexi Wright, and I'm excited to talk with you about the financial, generational, and production challenges facing producers in the ag industry today. This podcast is brought to you by BackPocket Social Marketing. And yes, this is Lexi here. This podcast has been a real passion project for me. All the time that goes into interviewing guests, editing, and producing the show is sponsored by my freelance marketing agency. We specialize in website design, social media advertising, content creation and management, and email marketing. If you like to take a foundational approach to your marketing and figure out exactly what's working for you and what's not and really focus on efficiency, then you would be a great candidate to work with us. You can reach out and talk with us more at lexi at backpocketsocial.com. We would love to help you solve your marketing challenges. Welcome back to Farming on Purpose. I am very excited today to have Caroline Rose Bohannon here today. I've known Caroline for quite a while. I think we first met back in college. Um, And then our relationship has grown over the years, as I've done a lot of work with you as your businesses have grown. And I'm just really excited. You agreed to do this. We talk about you sometimes on this podcast. So people are going to be familiar with like the things we're bringing up. So thanks so much for being here. Um, I'm going to read uh, just a little bio about Caroline and then Caroline's going to tell us a little bit more about herself. So Caroline is the leader and heart of Cairo's company, and she prefers to spend her days in sale barns or on the ranch, but she's a pro at working from anywhere and pours her heart into taking care of her clients. She is also the owner of Cattlemen U, which is an education program for ranchers um, and cattlemen of all kinds, and then also a co-owner of The Rancher's Daughter, which is a direct-to-consumer business um, focused on beef and meat in Houseville, Montana. So, Caroline, tell us more about yourself, your background in ag, and what else you want to share about those things.
1: Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me on the podcast, and I love when people read that bio because it sounds so professional. And probably throughout this interview, you'll realize I'm not that professional. So it always makes me, I'm like, oh, that sounds really great. (laughs) That always uh, kicks it off, I think, with a good start. But yeah, I'm Caroline Rose Bohannon. You are the first person that has actually said that on a recording. So uh, I got married on New Year's Eve and the name change has been slow process. But I was born and raised in Three Forks, Montana, which is a little town outside of Bozeman. And we weren't necessarily ranchers. My dad grew up on a seed stock operation in Idaho. And when he moved to Montana, he just hustled. Um, He said he moved to Montana with $3,500 to his name and he drove a $2,500 pickup. And he has always just kind of scribbed by. I think when people look at our operation now, they immediately think generational wealth and all these things. And my dad has just sort of woke up every day and said, I'm gonna be better than the next day. And um, so we started in an ag family. So 100 percent of our income was derived by agriculture. And my dad was managing a cattle buying operation called Park County Marketing Association in Livingston. And to give an idea, this was before cell phones. He had three small kids at home and he was driving an hour every single day to work one way. So an hour there and an hour back. So he just was putting in the time to kind of chase his dreams and Growing up, we always had some cattle around, whether that be a milk cow or we leased the neighbors or ran some yearlings or a couple of years, we leased a feedlot. Like he just always was trying something and seeing if he could make a profit. He started to buy cattle um, pretty full time when I was probably in elementary school, meaning he was going to the sale barns and out on his own. And I'm actually going to get him on our podcast to talk a little bit about how developed but one story that he tells me that i think you guys will appreciate is um lynn Scoes in south dakota which is a big Charlie producer they called him up and asked him to buy some bread cows at a sale and he bought one load and there was like three or four loads and the dad called back and kind of yelled at him and said why did you not buy more kettle and he said because i only have enough money to pay for one load and the next week a checkbook came in the mail and the guy said don't ever make that mistake again there's opportunity to buy cattle, that makes sense, just sign the checks. And so my dad, that kind of tells you a little bit about the integrity and the lifestyle that we grew up in. And I went to, well first I went to Kansas State University and when I first graduated college and I had some health issues and I think we're gonna talk about them a little bit later but I just realized that I needed to be closer to home. I was really young, I graduated high school at 17. So I committed to K-State when I was 16. And so I just wasn't fully aware. One, I didn't have the problems when I signed on to K-State, but also that was a long ways at being so young. So I came back to MSU, took five years to graduate, and I have an animal science degree. And I've always um, wanted to have cattle around. I started my herd kind of when I was, I won a Nile heifer. And so I started my herd in eighth grade, and I still have cows from that same genetic line today. But I started k Rose Company the day I graduated because I didn't want to work for someone else. And it really started out as I wanted to buy and sell cattle, but then it really evolved into a marketing company and being able to market in the agriculture industry. I still buy and sell cattle today. And then actually when I was at K-State, I started out in the education, which I think is what you started in, Lexi. And I thought I would be a teacher and that was rough. The first semester, I was like, I am not going to be in a classroom, which is so ironic because now we have cattle Menu, which is a huge entity inside K-Rose Company that is all about education. So it is very ironic that I ended up there. And then the rancher's daughter I own with Grayson Cottrell, and we sell my family's beef, but all Montana farm and ranch and maker products in our store, to Mostly the community of Flathead County and Kalispell, but also we get the opportunity to feed a lot of people who are coming here to go to Glacier and some of those natural attractions. So it's a lot on the plate. I'm involved in agriculture, kind of from the very beginning to the end product. Um, And it has not always been the easiest journey to be in agriculture and kind of maintain that. So hopefully that is a good enough background. I think so. I think it takes everybody a
0: moment to soak in exactly that story because saying that you are involved directly in each of those aspects individually is just kind of shocking. Most people don't ever do that. Um, You know, they pick one area and they focus on it. So you kind of started on the buying and selling cattle and, and building up your herd when you got the Nile heifer. What was it that told you, you know, you needed to branch out from there? Why didn't you just go all in at that first point?
1: Yeah, so a few things. Um, The very first time I owned a cow was a 4-H steer. And to give you an idea, there's some people in Galton County, which is Bozeman, that they had a semi truck for their 4-H steers that cooled them. And I remember my very first year, my dad bought some cattle in October from a guy named Dean Wilkin. He recently retired, but we sold I sold him many of cattle. And the semi-truck backed into the 3 Forks sale bar. Out came these two steers he had picked out in his feedlot to send back to Montana. And the next day, we loaded his truck with feeder calves to go back to his feedlot. And so, I mean, these were homegrown He just went through the lot and picked out the very best steers. And I lost a ton of money the first year. And my dad sat down. My dad carries these unique little pens. It's only pen and pencil he'll use. And he circled the numbers and he said, the cattle business is a break-even business and we're not a break-even family. So you get one more shot at this. And if you can't turn a profit next year to pay for this year and the last year, we're done. I showed steers one more year. Guess who didn't turn a profit? Guess who never had a 4-H steer again? So my dad was very clear. Like, we're not just gonna do what the neighbor does just because the neighbor does it. Like, we will seize an opportunity, we'll test it out. If it doesn't bring home green, then we're not doing it again. And so he gave us that mentality really, really early on. And so that was always in the back of my mind. And the cow-calf business is very much a break-even business, especially in our society, like our, not society, but our family situation, because we don't own a ranch. I mean, we have 160 acres, we lease a couple big ranches, but we don't have a calving shed. I mean, we're not set up to have mother cows. So I knew that if I wanted to keep some mother cows around, I had to be involved in other pieces. And the other thing that my dad has said that has really stuck with me is, why should we expect someone to buy cattle from us and write a big check? I mean, this year, think about it. Steer calves are bringing $2,200, $2,300, I mean, yearlings, and there's 60 of them on a truck. I mean, we're asking them to write us a decent check. My dad said, we can't ask that if we don't know the whole picture. We can't ask that if we don't understand the risk of having loads of cattle on feed and contracting with JBS and understanding all of that. And so that's just something that we grew up with that my dad was very vocal about. He is still really good. We have, you know, we have hundreds of cattle on feed in Colorado um, that we sell on the grid. We sell live, like we try it all. And then I like the meat portion, because to me, that's really where you can see the work. It's almost like if you just do the cow-calf side, you send them to a feeder. You never get to see how they feed out, the health of it, whether your vaccine program works. And then And no one, you know, not a lot of people see the middle, like what the buyer side is like. And then even as a feeder, if you don't ever get to see the meat, I mean, you still miss that piece. And so I love being involved in all of them. And I really think it makes me a better cow-calf producer. It makes me a better cattle buyer. It makes me a better custom feeder. I understand hedges and LRPs. And when I can see the meat, that is like the best reward of it all.
0: Yeah. I'd never heard that story of your first 4-H steer, but that I, that is just so you, like having, knowing that your dad instilled that in you that early and seeing like how you treat your business like that every day just matches up so perfectly. So,
1: yeah, I was sad because all of my friends had 4-H steers and my dad's like, yeah, they're being supplemented by their parents. That's called welfare. He was like, we don't do that around here," and. <laughs> We did not grow up in a family that there was a ton of extra money. I mean, my parents were really good. My mom stayed home and my dad really, I mean, my dad was self-employed. And so he just hustled and hustled and hustled. And and uh, he always thought he could outwork his stupidity. He says that a lot. You know, I just thought I could outwork that vacation. Like I could just make money for what we were spending. And so he kind of had a wake up call in his journey. But he was like, we don't have, su- like, I can't supplement you. Like I'm trying to put food on the table. And And so, you know, and he has always really talked about the long game, like what it's going to be like when his grandkids ranch. And so he's always envisioned like he's working for 120 years versus just for his life. And so I think that has really helped.
0: Yeah, it's very admirable. And it's you don't have kids yet, but I just really admire that he took the time to sit down and explain that to you versus you know, just letting it go by the wayside. A lot of parents would maybe shy away from that conversation and be ashamed that they didn't have that extra money to support the kid's activity that they really wanted to do. But instead, he put it back on you and said, you know, if you want to do this, it's on you to figure out how to do it. And it didn't work out, which didn't work too. (laughs) That's life too. Um, Okay, so let's talk a little bit more about the beef side. You said that part is where you get to really see all the work that's been put in, and really understand, you know, how the whole picture came together. So, you guys started selling your family's beef beef direct to consumer. When did that start taking place, and what did that look like in the beginning up until now?
1: Yeah, probably 2017, and so it really started with employees. Right, we wanted to make sure our employees were getting half a beef, um, and then. We had a couple of people at church say hey can we buy some beef from you and we'd be like yeah sure so we were probably doing five head a year the other thing too is my dad has always wanted to take care of like both my dad's parents are still alive one is um in his 90s and then my grandma's in her late 80s and so making sure we always had a little meat around for you know them if they needed it my brother because he works full-time on the operation so like we were just processing a few and I love marketing. I was like, I think I can make this something. So I started and I really didn't do that great of job with Rose family meats. I mean, we were processing 20 head a year, selling bulk hamburger, quarters, halves and wholes. Um, But the feedback I was getting was exceptional. I mean, I loved when people would say, your meat just tastes different and I can tell you guys really care for it and all of these things. And the other piece of it is, my brother looks like a true cowboy. And he it's like our life looks very romantic. It's not. Don't hear me say that. But like we ranch in a really pretty spot in Montana from the backgrounding lot. You can see five mountain ranges like it all kind of looks exactly what the consumer expects it to look like. And so that story was fun because I didn't feel like we were putting on an act at all. I mean, that's how my brother shows up when his wife's giving birth like he just looks like that and so that was really fun for me and also I had some customers starting to ask about farm to table and one of the things that we always preach is like we'll try it first and so I really wanted to like figure out if it could be profitable and then I had people say like can I buy a brisket can I buy some ribeyes and I was like no not really because I don't know what I'd do with the rest and so that's when I really when we thought about the retail stores I was like people can come in and buy dinner for tomorrow Not like a whole year purchase. Like it can be a little bit um, quicker decision and some of that. And also it was really hard for people to afford a whole or half cow. Like that was an intentional decision that not everyone can make. And especially as the economy ebbs and flows. Um, And so, of course, we saw more demand during COVID. Not a ton because it was hard to get processing slots. Mm -hmm. And I have a really hard time even today booking processing slots when the animals are not even in the the like lifeline right I'm like that just seems so risky and so dishonest to me I have a really hard time with that um but then when we open the rancher's daughter like it's amazing to see people be able to come in buy a steak and I know they're going to enjoy it or I know they're going to barbecue it tomorrow or in the next week and so I really enjoy that the other thing that I think this is probably my age showing is every time someone chooses rose family meats in the store Like, all I can think of is like my brother and the work he's putting in, because now I'm majority of the time four hours away. I mean, I say 75 percent time here, 25 percent time at the ranch and like the legacy that we get to have for his kids and hopefully my kids. And I say to my brother, I verbalize to him, I can't wait for our kids to ranch together. Like I say that out loud one, so he makes sure that like all these hours he's putting in are worth it. But also to tell him like I'm here, I'm not leaving. I know I'm far away. My role looks very different, but like we are in this together.
0: Yeah, I think it's really cool to watch the evolution because I remember when you first started Rose Family Meets, and then just to see like exactly how that's all played out. Are you glad that you started small and grew it? Do you wish you would have
1: grown faster? Are you? pretty happy with how that journey looked I think it was I think it was exactly how it was meant to be but I think people get quick too fast in farm-to-table and we lack the consistency of the quality and so that's in something that's really important to me actually even next week I'm a continual learner but next week we've hired a expert to come to the operation to meet with my dad Jacob, uh, Grayson and I to go over what makes the best meat, what, you know, frame score, what does it look like when cattle are finished? Can you finish cattle too long? Like all of these things. So we've hired a professional to come in and do a little bit of education. And so we're constantly trying to be better and provide a good product and find the right product and the right thickness and the right fat and all of that to make sure that we're just serving people really well.
0: Yeah, you do a really good job of that. I think it shows
1: in the integrity, like the story you said
0: about your dad with the checkbook um, and it it carries through in your other businesses. You guys just really care about what the value truly is versus I think a lot of folks can get caught up in, well, they said, you know, they that we listen to a lot of outside sources in cattle and we don't really know what the complete picture looks like, but you guys put in the time and the effort and the money to make sure you do know what the whole picture looks like.
1: Yeah, we try to do that because it's really easy to, I mean, it's quick money, right? To sell some holes that the quality is not there. And we're just not willing to do that. We actually probably play it on the too safe side, which is one of the things I'm hoping we learn with this professional because... We send a lot of cattle um, to the harvester and we make them just burger because my brother's like, the steaks won't be good enough quality. So we turn the whole animal into burger mm. and we do that with a lot of them. Whether my brother thinks they're too old, right? They were heiferets, um, a heifer of mine that lost a calf, something like that. Um, or they've been on feed too long, like they were slow maturing or they were came off as yearlings really light. And so we had to feed them a grower ration before a finished ration. And so I think sometimes we play a little too conservative. And so I'm excited to see and to hear their perspective and whether we're on the right track or maybe we can make some stakes out of those. Yeah, that'll be cool to find out more about. So You guys are, is it about nine months into the rancher's daughter? Is that right? Yeah, October. Um, we signed the lease for the building in August. Okay, so
0: you're getting close to a full year. What do you feel like the biggest lessons you've learned as you made that, I mean, that's a big jump to go from just selling beef to family and friends and employees to owning a real retail location, having full-time hours. What's, what have you learned? What's that's been like?
1: Well, it hasn't been easy. Let's just put it that way. And it certainly hasn't been profitable yet. And I think that When people look at a retail location, when people look at our retail location, it's cute. We have incredible employees. The marketing's on point. I mean, we do that ourselves. So, right, it's on point. That's what we do full time. But it's a whole different business than online. To have people walk into store and have to have a conversation with them and have to put products on a shelf and manage inventory and visual and hours and holidays and like it's not easy. It would probably be much easier if we just sold online, but we wanted the consumer to come and be able to shake hands with the rancher's daughter. I mean, that was part of it. Mm-hmm. And so we wanted them to ask questions and to, you know, really get to look at grass finish versus grain finish and decide what's best for their family. And so it is a little harder and it was a huge jump. We love it. Um, I mean, you can get you can ask Grayson privately wh- to whether she loves it as much as I do. not know. I'm just kidding. She loves it. We'll put her email in the
0: show notes. you can.
1: Yeah, <laughs> you guys can email her. She loves it. Um, it's incredible having a partner. I never considered having a partner in K-Rose. I mean, I have a leadership team, which feels very invested to me. And so it feels like a partnership. But the late nights and the deep depths, it is really nice to have someone that you can split responsibilities with and to have someone who is in it and can feel that especially like workers comp things or unemployment like we're in it together and we can really bounce our strikes off each other so there is so many great things about it but it is not as easy as i thought it would be and the thing that i realized the one thing that um we realized is facebook is our number one sales engine We ask every single person how they hear about us and they either come by referral or Facebook. Mm -hmm. And which is nice because we talk a lot about the power of Facebook and it is so fun to see it in action. But if you were to think about a retail store, I think consignment is a great option. We have a lot of consigners in the store. It's low risk for them. It's low risk for us. And we still get to market their product. But it is a leap. You probably need to have $100,000 ready to spend if you're going to open a retail location and fully stock it. Well, I appreciate you being so
0: forthcoming about that, that it's not profitable yet, but you believe in it, you love it and kind of how people need to be prepared if they were to take that kind of a job.
1: So. Yeah, and I think people think it is gonna be profitable right off the bat. Like we're not getting paid yet, you know? And part of it too, is small businesses don't make money right off the bat and we just have to learn to expect that. The thing that I love is our hustle and our time, technically not free, but I view it as free. It's like, the more time I put into the business, I can see a direct result of that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they have told us to expect it to take three years to be profitable. Our goal is much quicker than that. Um, But just know that it's not, you know, you're probably not going to take a paycheck right away unless you're the one manning the counter six days a week. Mm -hmm. And it it looks better on social media than it probably feels but I think that's the same with every retail location we're not alone in that but I just don't want people to be look it's super easy I can just rent a space and get started like there are days we didn't have customers in January so like it is a learning experience yeah and you still have to pay
0: the employee to work the counter whether there's any sales or not <laughs> yeah um, I see a lot of people that are trying to break into the direct to consumer situation, kind of finding like a halfway point between the local pickups or local drop offs in a couple different places and a full retail location by doing like, you know, those sheds that you can buy like at Home Depot or something and then they hook it up to electricity and put their freezer in there um and do it that way have you seen much success or heard of many people having success with that would you have considered trying that before
1: you went to a full retail yeah kind of like a farm stand i do hear people having success with that i think people are less comfortable buying meat out of farm stands Mm -hmm. and they are produce produce and eggs seem to do really well on the honor system To think that someone could come and buy a ribeye, take a ribeye, unless you were manning it all the time, I think that is a little bit of a challenge. The other thing that we've noticed that the retail location really helps with is storage you know we have 20 head we're processing about 60 head a year of our family's meat to sell through the store and so we always have about 20 head on inventory or ready to pick up so right now we have 13 head ready to pick up we have about 10 head in the freezer and so just being able to have that supply is what i think would be the most challenging in more of a farm stand sense because you're going to be moving coolers all the time. And so having a cold storage or some type of unit that you can store them in would be really beneficial.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Well, we talked a lot about the Rancher's Daughter. It's a new, exciting thing for you guys. But we haven't really talked about K. Rose Company, hardly at all, um, which is the first business you started, like you said, the day you graduated. Um, And it has been growing nonstop ever since then. Can you tell a little bit more about what you do there
1: Um, who you serve, and why you do what you do in that business. Yeah, K-Rose Company has really been a roller coaster. Lexi has been on it the whole time. Um, And it grows every single year. I mean, it is incredible, the growth and the percentage. I think this year we're up 40% from just last year already. So um, it's a never-ending game of change and trying to serve the right person and working with our schedule as our lives change and ebb and flow. And I really, really enjoy it. K-Rose Company is definitely my baby. Definitely where I feel the most confident in the marketing aspect. Um, So K-Rose Company is a full service design agency. Um, So we probably have six or seven team members that play a role in K-Rose Company at the current moment. Um, Several full-time, and we're looking to add another full-time person right now. But we do, uh, our main customers are seed stock producers, um, commercial cattlemen, and rural businesses. So one of my big beliefs, and I actually on the Kettleman U podcast talked about this a little bit yesterday, but if rural communities don't have uh, daycare, don't have a grocery store, don't have a place for the husband and wife to get a job in town, then the next generation of farmers and ranchers is not going to come back to the operation. And let me clear something up here that might be helpful. All our companies under our umbrella come with one mission, And that mission is to ensure the next generation of farmers and ranchers. And so when we wake up and when we invest in new businesses, consider starting new businesses, which is always a topic around here, um, that it has to fit that mission. So if it doesn't directly help our future generation of children to ranch, it has to help someone else. So in K-Roth Company, we serve a lot of rural businesses, um, getting their marketing up and running. We have full-time photographer, videographer, we do social media, website, logo, email marketing, strategy, budgets, all of that. And then we do a lot of seed stock marketing. So we kind of brought creativity into the seed stock marketing world. And we work with producers on their private treaty sale, whether they're just starting, whether they have big production sales, we do catalog design, bull photos, videos, all of that. We like to consider ourselves a one stop shop, which I think is a phrase that I probably started in agriculture marketing that a lot of places use now. Yeah. <laughs> to give an idea like we had a customer call last spring or the spring before and say, I forgot to pick up the donuts this morning. Will you stop on your way to the sale and bring donuts? And we're like, yep. Like we want to be the call they make mm-hmm. and we want to provide that service. I mean. Now, multiple times in my career, I've been the first call after a team member um, or a family member has passed away and they want me to write something for social media or send out or post on the website. And so, like, we want to be there through the trenches. Like, we're not just a design company. We're really on your team and your advocate. I would say 70% of our business is... um, Seed stock marketing, maybe 60%. And the other is ag supported businesses. We get to do some fun projects like All Things Dairy, which was a brainchild of mine that I am partners in, which we sell dairy embryos online and have a dairy platform. So like we dabble in the dairy industry. We dabble a little bit um in the equine industry. And so We do a lot of rural businesses, but it's pretty much just a full service design agency with a little plus sign. And the other piece of that is we do buy feeder calves. So between my dad and I, we're um, marketing about 20,000 feeder calves. We sit in eight sale barns a week between the two of us in the fall. Um, he sits kind of all year round. I primarily do the fall and the first part of the spring. But those two businesses really complement each other because the ideal customer of the seed suck producers is who I'm buying their calves from. And so it's really an easy thing to marry and to keep together. Absolutely. Well, I think hearing you talk just about
0: those two businesses, everyone's like, where the hell are you spending all your time? Like, you, how do you put it all in in a day? And then you have one more business. Um, at least one more, there could be more on the table already that I'm not aware of, but, um, so let's talk a little bit about your day-to-day role, because you mentioned that as well, when talking about your brother, your role looks very different than his, but you're both valuable parts of the operation. And a lot of that is kind of what's trickling into the education that's being shared in Cattlemen U, the third operation. Let's touch on that a little bit.
1: Yeah, so my day-to-day is crazy. And I think that is the one thing that the K-Rose team and Cattleman U and Rancher's Daughter team do not get enough credit is they manage me and they help manage my schedule. And I can say I'm in the office one day and then I call and say, we need to cancel everything because I'm going to the sale today. (sighs) And they're like, okay, great. And they just handle it all with stride. But the things I try to spend my time on is strategy. I really love strategy, whether it be um, the Rancher's Daughter, for example. We just decided to do a food drive, buy two pounds of ground beef, give a pound. We're going to do it in August. I love that. I'm going to do the first 15 percent. I'm going to pass that off. Um, and so I love strategy. We have a big strategy meeting tomorrow with all of the clients that are booked. I think it's 35 right now. We're going to go through each client, their ideal customer. What can we do to make them unique? That's my sweet spot. So I spend a lot of time doing strategy. I spend a lot of time um, being the visionary. I think that that is a spot that I am really good at. And I can really paint the picture about where we're going, what we need to do, how we need to have and flow, what support we need to get there. So I spend time every day doing visionary work, creating content. Um, I try to create some content every day, um, whether that be TikTok or recording podcasts or giving content to the team. Of course, I'm on the phone a lot. So I don't know if you'd call it customer relations, um, but I do all the sales for K-Rose Company. So I book all the new customers um, and then I do all of the direct communicating with the cattle buying side. And so I'm on the phone talking to customers a lot, which is where I get a lot of my ideas, but that's really where I try to spend my time. It gets into the weeds a little bit, just as in every business, right? A little bit of employee management. In KRO's company, we have department heads, and so they get to do a lot of that, um, which is really nice for me that I can kind of remove myself, but I always have a two-page to-do list. I can never get it all done. I have to decide priorities, um, and also, I shared something on Instagram the other day, I think you liked it, Lexi, but I'm pretty sure I have ADHD. And it says that you can, you know, you have three different work styles. You get nothing done in a day. I certainly feel like that some days. You get four hours of work done. I feel like that some days. Or I can get 40 hours of work done in eight hours. And (laughs) so it's amazing how the team just handles that working and handles my creativity. The other thing that I try to do and I try to be really intentional about is we don't have kids yet, but I have a niece and nephew that I am very close to. I am probably their favorite person. And so I make sure that I get down to the ranch probably two days a week. Like this is a rare week where I've been in Kalispell, um All of last week, I got home on Monday, all of last week and all of this week, we go down tomorrow um, to the ranch. But I try to be very intentional and make sure that I am spending some time with them because It makes me emotional to think that I only have like 10 summers that they're going to be left home and I can impact them. And so I am a big believer in spending time with people and doing things that are maybe I have to put my work aside. I work a ton, but I try to do things like, you know, hang out with my dad, hang out with my brother and be really present there. My husband is a wildland firefighter, so he thinks he has three or four days until he'll be gone for the rest of the season, which will be through October. And so I really take advantage of that. Sure, he comes home some nights, um, but I spend a lot of time with the people that I don't get to see when he's in his busy season, just so that when he's in his slow season, I can be present with him. That's really something that I admire a lot about you is that
0: work is a huge priority and it's like your passion in life but you always remember like where things where priorities where priorities lie um with the people that you love and i think that that is something i personally struggle with it's always it always feels like a tug and a pull of like i have work that i need to do i want to spend time with these people where do i meet in the middle and i feel like you just walk that line so well So I enjoy learning from you in that.
1: Thank you. I try and I'm not going to look very different when I have children, of course. But um, I've always thought, you know, one, I'm in control of the destiny of the income. And my dad has always said that to me. One thing and I don't you know, I don't know really where it fits, but it's something I think about a lot like you know, when times get tough, I'm always like, should I just go get a job at Starbucks on the fringe hours? And I think about that probably once a month. Um, You know, just how nice would it be to have a paycheck? And one thing my dad said is, can you make more money for yourself in those hours than you can for someone else? And the answer is always yes. And so it's like, I just have to really consider, one, am I using my time wisely? And two, you know, I have a friend who lives in Iowa that I really want to see. She just recently had a baby. And so i just was looking at the calendar. And one of the days that I'm planning to be there, I have like a whole bunch of podcast interviews. And I said to myself, so what, can I not podcast there? You know, like, can I not do both and still have a great experience? And so I try to make sure that I'm able to do both. And I put a lot of things on my calendar. For example, next week, Jason and Ellie, my niece and nephew are coming to Kalispell and they really love Grayson. And so she's going to give them swimming lessons and they're going to stay up here for four days and just hang out. And I'm going to work. I work the store one day. They're just going to come with like, well, I'm just going to do life with them and they will love it. They will think it's the bee's knees. I will love that I get to have them up here. I am hoping that Sean at least gets to come home at night because, of course, they think he is the best as well. And so I just try to fit everything in and I don't do it perfectly. I'm certainly a workaholic. Don't hear me say that there's any work life balance, Um, but I do the best. And for example, since this episode's not going to go live until after she knows, um, Grayson is going with me to some medical appointments that I have in Arizona because my husband's a wildland firefighter. And um, I am flying in her mom and her best friend that she does not know about. And so I added an extra day on the trip and we're going to go wedding dress shopping. Again, she has no idea that we're doing any of this. And so it was a really easy way for me to say, we already have to do this. What is one more day that then I can fit in some things that are important to her because I know she's sacrificing for me, but also important to me, but also works in the whole schedule. So like, I try to do things like that, like add a day here or, you know, add this here to make it ebb and flow a little bit easier so I can fit all that in. Yeah. Oh, my gosh, that makes me so excited for her. Um, yeah, she has no idea. She just said, she um, said, I have so much. I, I'm so excited we get to, like, deep dive and brain dive, you know, on this trip and plan a bunch of things out. She's like, I have a whole list. I'm just thinking to myself, we're probably not going to get much of that done. <laughs> She's going to be so annoyed if she listens to this episode. <laughs> She's like, dang
0: it, Caroline. Hey, it's Lexi here, and I'm interrupting the show to tell you about a new option we have for marketing support for you. I've met so many people the past six months who are looking for DIY marketing support. And while I primarily offer marketing packages and website design in my marketing business, I'm excited to have something just for you DIYers too. So I know you need answers quickly to help you overcome tech challenges and get feedback on your marketing content when you have a spare minute to work on it. And you want to keep growing and learning how to make your marketing work in a way that makes sense for you. Here's what I've got for you. First, you can sign up for a free marketing toolkit, which includes social media post templates, email marketing outlines, video ideas, and a content planner and tracker. And to get tutorials and answers to those pressing questions, sign up for our weekly marketing tutorials for just $10 a month, where we tackle your most frustrating challenges together. Or sign up for the marketing support line, where you get direct access via text message to ask all of your tech support and marketing advice questions. It's like having a marketing and tech support person in your back pocket. We solve website issues, social media challenges, and just give feedback on the content you're creating. You can find those options at com slash social under marketing support. Oh, that's funny. Oh, gosh. Um, well, okay, so I think that ties in to, you know, I think maybe a little bit of the reason that you are the way that you are. Um, And I say that with like so much love Um, that you have all of these businesses, you have so much passion for life and you really focus on what your priorities are. And I think we've talked about in the past, it's one of the reasons that you opened K-Rose Company in the first place is and never wanted to have a boss that you had to ask for time off from. Um, what is that that shaped you? Can you tell, share that story with us and and talk about how it continues to affect your businesses and your life?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So in high school, um, I got really sick my senior year in high school. And we at, at first just started as like, hey, you're having some ailments. And I ended up having a massive stroke at basketball practice my senior year. Um, we were doing the zigzag drill. For those of you who play basketball know exactly what I'm talking about and I was following a girl fine with my right side and she crossed over and we went left and I collapsed. And at the time um, when it was all happening, I knew I was sick. Uh, I was an eight on the Enneagram. And so I had been alerting and trying to investigate a little bit since September. So I, I knew this was December. I knew that something was going on. And so A little bit what happened is I collapsed at basketball practice. I had actually had the knowledge to call my dad and tell him to come to practice. So he drove in and was sitting in the stands when I collapsed. Um, And he took me to urgent care. The urgent care doctor did an exceptional job and said, I think she must have some swelling blood vessels in her brain. It can happen to young women. You need to get her seen by a neurologist. So just the very next day, we got into a neurologist. The neurologist said, I think that we need to get, you know, CAT scan MRI to see actually what's going in. So this was like a Monday, a Tuesday. So on Wednesday, we went into Bozeman. We got an MRI. We came back home and they said, hey, we saw some things that we weren't expecting. You need to come back in. So that next day we went back in. Bozeman's about 30 minutes. So before we even got home, they had called and said, like, we see some major problems here. You need to go to Billings um tomorrow and to get this dye injected in your leg to look at your heart. And so my parents were like, Okay. So on Friday morning we were actually headed to Billings. We blew a tire and I had another massive stroke in the back of the vehicle. And so we ended up in Bozeman ER. And what they diagnosed me with in the ER, um, it's definitely a God thing. And he doesn't work at the hospital anymore. So I think I'm safe to say it. But um his name is Dr. Nappenberger. He was there. He says he was on he had accepted the job, I don't think he had. Um, he was there from Seattle Children's, He as a neurologist touring the facility. He came in in street clothes and he made my dad sign a waiver and he said, can I look at her? And he nailed it right on the ha- head. So I um, was having a heart infection from the dentist getting a cavity filled. And so every time my heart was beating, it was spewing off like infection. So I was had blood clot infections under all my fingers and toes and everything like that. And so he said, I'm gonna send her to Salt Lake for open heart surgery. And they're going to do open heart surgery as soon as they get there. And so I got to Salt Lake and the doctor, I remember, uh, told my dad that she was not gonna do open heart surgery because I was so plump. And it was quite a moment. My dad was so excited. He was like, look, your chubbiness, like you've been chubby your whole life. Your chubbiness is paying off. And it was really interesting because when you have a heart infection, nine times out of 10, people lose so much body weight that they have to do open heart surgery because your body can't fight the infection with the antibiotics. Like the antibiotics are too strong. And she was saying, you look great. Like we're going to try antibiotics. And it didn't really hit me until much later, but it was like my weight, which was a struggle my whole entire life. Like God never answered my prayer to be skinny because he was answering the prayer of my family to like, have a long life. And so it was one of those moments where I was like, well, kind of thanks, he didn't make me a size zero, even though I'd been praying like my entire life to be that because he knew that if he did that, he couldn't answer other people's prayer. And so this was December of my senior year. So going into January, just wasn't getting better. I ended up having um, gallbladder surgery pretty immediately. That was pretty rough experience. And then in June, I was diagnosed with an anti- it's called antiphosphate lipid antibody syndrome, but an autoimmune disease just means my body um, can't like take down clots, And so you end up having a lot of strokes and blood clotting issues and so you're on blood thinners. And I remember in the spring of my senior year, I was having gallbladder attacks, probably my eighth one, headed to the hospital. They'd had no idea what it was. And if you guys have ever had a gallbladder attack, they say it's pretty equal to labor. And it was pretty miserable. And I remember having a nice little conversation with God, which I have later learned this is not how you talk to God. But at the time, I was like, if you l- make me live through this, like, this sucks. I would rather go to heaven. If you make me live through this, I will change my life. Like, I will become who I like a much better version of myself. Mm. And it wasn't really like, probably even that you know, cohesive. It just was like, if I will go to heaven right now, like I am ready, this is miserable. I am, do not like this life. But if that is not your plan, then I'm going to go after your plan. And I grew up in the church, but I just like, I remember the car ride. I remember exactly on the freeway where I had that conversation. And my mom, of course, was like, you're being dramatic, you're not going to die. But I was like, <laughs> I'm ready. Like, this is pretty miserable for me, you know? Um, And so, when I didn't die, I said, okay, so obviously there's a reason I need to be on this earth and it can always be worse. I think the thing with having a lot of experience in the hospital is you see so much and you kind of see the path that I believe God is taking me on. And I had another, you know, cool experience and I told you guys a lot about it, but I spent last summer in Houston with my dad where he got radiation for throat cancer. And We were sitting in the pool and a gentleman his age, who was also getting radiation, was at the pool. My dad and him were talking and he said, you know, is that your daughter? My dad said, yeah, she can work from here. And so she's down here the whole time. And he said, wow, that's really nice. My daughter has a family and so she can't leave. And I always thought I would be married. I mean, before Sean and I had been together for a long time and I was pushing pretty hard on the gas pedal to get engaged. And all of a sudden I thought to myself, like, if we would have gotten married last year, I might have a family Mm -hmm. like I couldn't have done this. And so I'm very much like you got to control what you can control. And the chess moves that don't make sense to you are going to make sense in a few plays. Mm -hmm. And so I think that really helps to the attitude that I have and just understanding one it could be so much worse and two we are only given you know our certain set of cards and how we play them is up to us and i i have worked a lot on trying to live that and also trying to help the team really understand that like they we might not be able to control that piece but we can control this piece and so figuring out how i can handle my illness. Most people don't even know, which is the cool thing now. Like, I think I've recovered really well. And to be honest, I mean, how many sick days have I ever taken since you've been working? Maybe two. I probably was in the hospital. I probably was still sending emails. Uh, But I don't, you know, it was a fear of mine that it couldn't work for anyone because I might not feel well. Like that's not a reality. I feel great most of the time. Um, And, but it has given me this such unique perspective. Like I am on this earth to make an impact and I'm gonna do it. Like I'm not gonna waste my chances. And I always laugh because I tell people that having a stroke and having the heart infection was the best thing that ever happened to me. I think if I wouldn't have had that whole situation, I probably would be married to my high school boyfriend. We'd live in a trailer house with like 19 kids and be on welfare. So I'm like, thank you, Jesus, for that massive alert that you gave me. And I am now in a different life. Oh, my gosh. Well, every time you tell that story, it just
0: I I put myself right there with you in your senior year of high school. And I just can't imagine what that was like and what that was like for your parents. It must have been just so scary but the things that it has done for you are easily seen i think um in just how you approach life and i love to get your perspective on things because it always you always find a way to you know see see the positive or see the the possibility i think is the right word for it versus the stress or the negative or you know what what bad could happen from this
1: Yeah, I try really, really hard at that. Um, Again, my dad is such impactful in my life, but there was a boy growing up. um, He was a couple years younger than me, probably five or six years, actually. And he was our neighbor in the valley, and he had cystic fibrosis. And he's um, doing well now. The medicine has come a long ways. But my dad would always say, like, can we invite him to join 4-H? Maybe I'll drive his hogs in. Maybe I'll go, but like, really, because his parents, I mean, He had millions of dollars in medical bills. I mean, they were just trying to keep food on the table and he really took care of this kid. And my dad always, that's really where that it can be much worse started. When we were having bad days, my dad would say, do you actually think you're having a bad day? And he would say, think of the other situations. Think of the other people in the world. There's people who don't have food. There's people who, you know, and he would always talk about this boy and he would say, like, think about him. He's home getting his lungs shaken just so he can breathe. And my dad really instilled that like way before my accident. And so it was really easy to kind of adapt that. And the other thing too that I think is really unique about my situation and one thing that has really helped me Realize like how important family is. Is I didn't know this until much later in life, probably a couple of years ago. But my brother was a senior in college when I got hurt um, or when I got sick, and he got a really great job offer in Nevada, and he turned it down because he said to my dad, "I can't leave her." And wow. he wasn't even he wasn't even working at the operation at the time. He was my dad made us work for other people before we could really play a big role. Um, but he was like, "I'm not going," and like that has really bonded us to like know that I'm in it when it's hard for him. He's in it when it's hard for me. And so just knowing that, I mean, that has really kept our like glue together and how important family is, is just like, we're going to be in it. We're going to do it no matter what it looks like. And also like that was probably hard for him to verbalize. And my dad said he kind of like beat around the bush a little. He was like, "Eh, I think we'll take a job closer to home. You know, I want to make sure Caroline's doing okay. But like, That is just something as a family we live out is like, we're not bailing when it gets hard. Like we're in it. We're going to do it together. Yeah. So special. But I I just, it's really cool that you get to work with your dad and your
0: brother and build the business together. Like like you said, your dad has 120 year scope on things and you guys are very obviously working toward it and creating opportunities for Jason and Ellie and anybody else who might come along.
1: Yeah, which we we just, I mean, that legacy piece is really important. And to be honest, it might not look like a background in law. It might not look, but like we're trying to set ourselves up to be able to capture any opportunities and to ebb and flow with the market and whatever it looks like so that they have the option to be involved in producing beef for the world if that's something they choose. Yeah. Well, okay, so you
0: mentioned the podcast that you do several times, and that's kind of where I want to end today, because I love how you end that podcast um, with a quote, and I'll let you say the quote, and then tell us why you chose that quote, Um, and you're getting ready to start a new podcast, so tell us about those and then about the quote.
1: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So um, we have the Kettleman You podcast, which is our podcast for people who want to take any business really that they have and make it profitable. So I like to think of it as value added. We have role conversations, how to tweak your role, how to do things differently, how to just in all areas, business and agriculture. Um, so that's the Kettleman You podcast and we are on season four. Okay, so the two things I say a lot on the Kettleman You podcast is be the change you want to see. So I think it's really easy to say, especially in family operations or in your job, Man, I wish that person would do that. Man, I wish my dad would change. Man, I wish my dad would communicate more. Man, I wish my dad would care about what I care about. Like, right, my brother, whatever. Whoever's in your family operation, in your business. Like, don't expect them to do it. You have to change. Um, And then control the controllables. It's really easy in agriculture to say we can't control anything. We absolutely can control a lot of things. You have to control what you can control. And then we are starting a Rose Company podcast where the structure is gonna be a little bit different. So we're gonna do a quick industry update Um, to start. So anything in agriculture I feel is a hot topic it needs talked about. Then we're going to really dive into the cattle business. So becoming more profitable, understanding the different segments, a little bit behind the scenes, reading contracts, all of that. I'm going to have some guests. I'm going to do some solo. I'm going to do some with my dad and brother, which I'm very excited about. And then we're going to end each episode with a market report that is very timely and very relevant just to give an idea about what we're seeing in the market and how to analyze it. And so um, we have both of those podcasts. The Kettleman You podcast, like I said, is starting on season four soon. And the K Rose Company podcast will be coming live in August. So we're very excited. And I end every Kettleman You episode by saying the grass is greener where you water it. And it is really easy to compare It's also really easy to do a lot of busy work. If you put your head down and if you do work that matters and you focus on you and serving your customers well, you'll be just fine. Well, that's the perfect way to end this podcast
0: too. So thank you so much, Caroline, for coming on and taking the time to share with us. I just love The perspective that you have and the story, the work that you're doing in the beef industry. So appreciate your time today. And if you guys want to learn more about Caroline and the work that she's doing, we'll put all of the links to everything in the show notes so you can find her. Do you know someone building their ag legacy or with stories of yesteryear on the farm that need to be shared? please let us know or help them apply to be a guest on the show at farmingonpurpose.com slash guest. If you've enjoyed spending time with us today, please take a moment to review the show on Apple Podcasts or give us a share on social media. You can follow the host of Farming on Purpose, Lexi, at farmingonpurpose on all social media. And let us know what topics you want to hear more about.